Welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today, Josh and I are going to talk about the concept of mental contrasting. Now, mental contrasting is a, something uh, or is a concept that was developed by a German psychologist who is also a professor at um, New York University, NYU, um, named Gabriel Ottingen. And some of you may be familiar with uh, her work. Um, because it's been popularized uh, in sort of a, not self-help, but sort of popular psychology work. Um, and it's called WHOOP. And WHOOP is uh, an acronym that stands for Wish, Outcome, Obstacle, and Plan. But we today wanted to discuss the idea of, of mental contrasting and, and how that can apply for tennis players, specifically for performance, thinking about a performance that's coming up. Um, very often, of course, we want to win. We're thinking about winning. We're thinking about being successful. Uh, and mental contrasting is helping you understand that um, there's also some reality involved. Very often when we're thinking about winning, we get maybe indulged in not a fantasy per se, but we're, we get indulged in those thoughts of, of winning and playing well. And, um, and that becomes sort of the predominant thought. And we don't necessarily think as much about the reality of what could transpire on the way to winning a match or, or playing well. And that, that's really what we want to get into today is, all right, let's, let's add a dose of reality, essentially understanding what the obstacles or barriers are, and then making sure that we have a, a plan or response for handling those types of things. Um, you know, that way we're not just, uh, you know, when something does happen, we don't act as if, like, we can't believe this happened because these things do happen. Um, but I think, you know, when I watch some matches, Josh, I see players, you know, something difficult happens and the behavior tends to be almost like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? etc. rather than, of course, this is happening. You know, I just wanted to get, just get your initial thoughts on on our topic today and, and, you know, what you see from some players with respect to, you know, dealing with reality. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an important topic. Um, I, I would say, you know, you, as a tennis player, it's important to be aware of all possible scenarios and to be ready for whatever might happen. And I think some of those scenarios or some of those obstacles, right. The, the second O in the, in, in whoop, um, some of some of those obstacles that come up are predictable, and and um, by working with a sports psychology professional, by really thinking through some of these things ahead of time, when they actually take place, you can have a plan rather than leaving things up to chance, which is what we want to avoid. Um, so I, I think it's it's certainly an important concept for tennis players that, that probably most most of our listeners haven't necessarily thought of before, at least in these terms. Um, so, so no, I, I think it's, it's definitely important. I mean, you know, we, we can get into some of these, some of the obstacles that are, are most likely. Um, but I think, you know, the, that point that you made about dealing with reality, right. Not expecting, Hey, I'm just going to go out there and play great every single day and, you know, blow my opponents off the court and there's not going to be, you know, not going to be playing close matches um, and, and dealing with you know the the consequences of playing a close match, which I, I know we'll get into. Um, 
or, you know, playing against opponents that I'm always comfortable playing against. Um, but understanding, hey, if I, if I want to continue bringing my tennis game to that next level, that requires me to be able to deal with any situation. And we watch the best players in the world. And part of what makes them so good is that they're able to handle whatever, whatever their opponent throws at them, whatever, um, whatever situation they, they encounter. I mean, even at a very broad level, right, over these past almost two years with COVID, nobody could have imagined this, this scenario um, taking place, but the, those who have, who have, um, you know, had a, not, not that you can necessarily plan for something like this, but those that have been able to adapt and adjust, um, have, have been the ones that have been more successful ultimately. So, you know, the more that we can think through some of these scenarios before that they take place, particularly on the tennis court, um, the better prepared you're going to be when these situations inevitably do happen. I think adapt and adjust are good words, Josh. It, you know, one aspect of mental toughness that perhaps we don't give enough um, airtime is really that mental flexibility, right? Not being so rigid about things, but being able to adapt, being flexible, sort of like the Bruce Lee quote about water or about the willow tree, right? Those are the, those are the toughest things in life, those things that can be flexible and adaptable and, and adjust to it if we have too rigid of a framework for how a match should go and things happen that are outside of that framework then uh, we don't handle it as well so i think this you know the whoop concept or mental contrasting can help us um, be more flexible about what's going to happen but it also help normalize what happens like these are these are real things that can happen probably will happen and i need to be ready for that um, because we want to be successful in dealing with reality is, is a big is a, is a big part of that so um, we've definitely talked about some frameworks for coming up with plans right we've discussed the the mindset plan framework and distraction control framework and we can touch up a little bit on those uh, you know as we go through this um, but as players prepare for matches I think the recommended course of action here is to come up with between two and four scenarios that are likely to occur, you know, that are reality-based, that may stand in your way of, of getting the result that you want. And certainly, we could have uh, an exercise where we come up with more than two to four. You know, we could think of everything that could go wrong. But the probability of most of those is is fairly low. Uh, but there are probably some that, and you, you know, some of this may also be individual based, right? So as we go through some common scenarios, um, not all of them will apply to everyone, but some may, um, you know, some players may feel them more than others. So we want to be thinking about two to four things that could happen, and then and then developing some plans. So we thought, Josh, we could talk about. Uh, some common barriers, you know, common things that could happen, basically reality, um, that players could, you know, put on their list of things to be prepared for in matches. And um, we could start with singles, although I think the, the ones that we come up with, for, with sing for singles are common to both singles and doubles, but I think doubles maybe has some uh, unique ones itself, right? So, 
when you think of some common reality barriers to to winning a match or even playing well, uh, what are some that come up for you? Yeah, a couple that come to mind right away is um, unforced errors or mistakes, right? So it's, again, we use that word inevitable, but it's it's inevitable. It's, it is going to happen that there will be a time that not only do you hit one or two um, errors in a row, but, it, it, you know, they, they could start to, to bunch up. And understanding that those unforced errors and mistakes will happen and that that's something that you will need to handle in that moment, but planning that out ahead of time makes a huge difference. So thinking about, okay, how do we want to respond when this happens, right? Maybe, um, you know, we're really honing in on that routine that we're using in between points, making sure that we're resetting, making sure that we're, you know, breathing, staying loose, having a plan going into that next point, um, not showing off any negative body language to our opponents, um, so that, that is one, that is one obstacle that is, that, that is inevitable, um, based and is based on reality. And then one other one I would say is losing, losing big points, right? So maybe those are deuce points, especially in a no ads situation or, you know, in an, in an ad situation, maybe it's a really long game where it's going back and forth and back and forth. And ultimately you lose after, you know, a number of deuces, or it could even be after, you know, losing a set that may be. Um, you've been ahead in, or it was really tight and went to a tiebreaker. And, you know, maybe you have certain regrets for how you played the point or certain decisions that you've made, but being able to, again, put that behind you, reset, maybe make an adjustment in your game if need be. Um, but again, understanding that ahead of time, that, that this will happen, right? Every time you get into a deuce situation or a tight situation in a match, it's not necessarily going to go your way. So having a plan for when you lose those types of situations makes you more prepared for when it does take place. I think, you know, when we think about a plan, the between points routine is, is an, uh, you know, uh, a critical part of the plan to deal with that bit of, of reality of, of making mistakes and losing big points uh, because you're still in the match. You want to make sure that you are still mentally in the match because, you know, technically you are, it's not over. Um, and so using that, that between point routine really is, is, is a key part of, of your plan. I think it's also good to remind yourself, like, like you said, Josh, these things happen, they're normal. And um, even though it may feel like a big deal, I think the reality is it's probably not that big of a deal. Um, if you can adjust and, and reset and get, get your focus back. Because I think the main thing with both of those items is probably some lack of focus on something, whether it be watching the ball, um, some intentionality with your targets or on big points. Maybe you're just not, maybe you're playing passively or you're playing tentatively. Um, and, you know, there's a lack of intentionality with how you want to play the point. So it might be, you know, part of your plan might be to increase your focus on something or increase your effort, increase your intensity. So we want to make sure that, you know, when those things come up, we have uh, a specific plan about how we want to respond to that, right? Um, I think another common one that, that players deal with all the time is getting a little bit nervous. Um, you know, to a certain degree, 
And again, this might be one of those, I think, where it's more individualized. Not everybody has nerves that um, detract from their performance. I think, you know, certainly nerves to a certain degree are a positive for performance because it motivates you to play, it provides energy, uh, etc. Um, but then there can be nerves that go a little bit beyond that, that can begin to interfere with performance. And so we want to make sure we have a plan for how to respond to that as it occurs at the beginning of a match or maybe on a big point, maybe it's closing out a match. That, that should be something we think about, right? When we're in a closing situation and I get nervous, all right, how do I want to respond to that? Because if you don't have that plan, most likely we, you know, we, we, we end up into the choking response. And we don't play the way we the way we want to. Um, so, what are your thoughts, Josh, on how like what's a good plan you think for for I got nervous serving for the match or serving for a set? You mean actually as it's happening? Yeah, or after right. Like so, let's say we have like all right, we've we've put this as our obstacle. Our obstacle is um, I I might get nervous serving out right. a set. Like, what do you think are some good suggestions for a plan for that? I think folk, uh, making sure that you're very intentional about your breathing is a big one. Um, finding ways to uh, eliminate some of the tightness that, that's, that may be going through your body. Maybe it's shaking out your arms or legs. Um, I, I think also making sure that you really have a clear uh, plan for how do you want to start each point is particularly important when you're nervous. It can be very easy to, you know, to, to be focused on the moment or focused on the score when that's happening rather than your game plan or rather than the playing style that you want to be playing. So, you know, focusing on really those first two shots that serve plus one or return plus one um, and, and trying to find a pattern that you're comfortable with trying to find a pattern that um, you've, you've used over and over again successfully. And maybe for some players, they haven't necessarily taken the time to, to think through what are those patterns. Um, but you know, spending that time and really thinking, okay, what, you know, I am a little nervous here. What, what sort of a serve and a, you know, and a first ball can I use to that, that I'm going to feel comfortable with. And that's going to put me in a winning position here. So um, I would, you know, I would point players towards really breathing, really finding ways to eliminate some of that physical tension, having a, a really good plan just for how you want to start the point. And then also some, some self-talk, right? So maybe there's, there's some things that you've planned out ahead of time, you know, um, something like, you know, embrace the moment or, you know, this, some, something like that, where you're able to view the situation as a challenge or an opportunity rather than a threat, rather than, uh Oh, you know, this is a big moment. I hope I don't screw this up. Um, but being able to flip that and, and thinking, okay, um, this is it. This is the moment. Like, here we go. And, you know, w- what that's going to look like in terms of that self-talk is going to be different for each player, right? It's important to put that in your own words. Um, but I, I, th- I think that that self-talk piece is, is critical um, because, you know, you're your own coach out there ultimately. And being able to talk to yourself in a productive way and being able to plan that out ahead of time and practicing this in practice, practicing it in less high pressure situations too, makes it easier so that when you're, when you're in that really, you know, when it's match point, when it's set point 
or down in you know one of those um you're you're more ready for it you can be more poised more in control and hopefully bring out some of your best tennis i love the self-talk part of that and i think we we should take that even a step further and 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 script it out this is what i want to say during (laughs) this game um that way you know dan abraham's the the psychologist in, in soccer european football talks about listening to yourself less and talking to yourself more. And the idea is like, listen to your thoughts less, right? Because the thoughts are more about loss aversion, more protecting the lead and not wanting to lose. Talk to yourself more about what you want, what I'm going to do, right? Play to win, you know, because I think in that moment when we're closing something out, we have, uh, whether we know it or not, we have a choice. We We can play with fear or we can play with courage, and you know, playing with fear is about not wanting to lose. Playing with courage is playing to win. Uh, that doesn't mean you will win, right? But we want to make sure that our self-talk, as you said, is individualized and designed for each player to help them perform their best, to, to get them to focus on what they need to focus. And I would recommend, for sure, scripting that out. And maybe it's just like three little reminders, right? Uh, Larry Lauer from USTA Player Development likes to use breathe and believe. It's a great one. I love that. Um, but it could be, you know, something like breathe and believe, keep your feet moving, whatever. High energy all the time, great body language. Whatever those things are, by you scripting out your self-talk and repeating it over and over again, you're blocking out the thoughts. You're talking to yourself more and you're listening to yourself less. And these are the moments where that type of thing is really, really important. Love everything else that you said, Right. The routine, although I, w- I might add, Josh, that maybe in this game we take a little bit more time. Perhaps we'd be a little bit more deliberate so we can have more intention on those, those, those plays, those first couple of shots. Working out the muscle tension, you know, shaking out your arm, bouncing up and down a little bit, you know, creating that positive energy. I think those make for, you know, all this combined really makes for a great plan for how to handle it. Now, will that plan guarantee success? Of course not. But those are all the right things to do. And let's say you do them. Um, and everything we talked about is in your control. Is it not? For So if let's say we were rating the plan for this, you would want to give yourself, say, and, and you're going to assess it afterwards. You'd want to give yourself, say, an 8 out of 10 on that because it's under your control can't always say that about your performance, right? Performance is a little bit out of our control. Certainly winning is not completely within our control. Um, so your, your, your ratings on performance may not always be eight plus, but your rating on how you execute this totally controllable plan should be at least an eight. And that's what you can then assess afterwards. All right. How did I do with executing the plan? Did I do all these things that are within my control? Um, and if you did, that's great. Then we learn from the results of that so that over time, you get better and better at the quality of this plan, right? Um, so I think that's a really useful construct here for helping players to deal with, say, closing games of sets and matches. Um, the key will be how players individualize you know, that self-talk piece for themselves, right? Um, Another barrier that comes up often has to do with the opponent, 
and there are line call issues or there can be personality issues like I don't want to lose to her right um, I had one player I was working with last week she was playing a, a national event and I think her third round opponent had a few things <laughs> that were kind of in conflict one she didn't like playing the style so as somebody who could hit a lot of high balls um, didn't like the personality of the player and also the player according to this other one had a, a reputation for line call issues, right? So sort of a trifecta of things going on there, you know? And, and her talk before the match was all about not wanting to lose to this player. There was not much talk about playing to win, solving the problems, etc. right? And so that was, you know, we had to do a quick shift of the mind back to, all right, we got to think about if you want to win this match, what are we going to do? We can't just avoid this whole thing by thinking about not wanting to lose. And, you know, so very often we know who we're going to play. And if we have some sort of opinion about them, we've got to make sure that we're shifting from not wanting to lose to that player to how are we going to solve these problems, which is basically what we're talking about, right? Coming up with plans for that. And I think we've discussed in some detail in some past episodes, you know, how to handle line calls or, or personality. But maybe let's let's perhaps go through some highlights, Josh, of, of things that players can do when presented with, you know, line call issues. Yeah, I mean, we we did do an episode um, on, on this, on line calls and on cheating as well. Um, and, you know, I, I, I would suggest... Um, you know, think, thinking ahead of time as we're talking about how, how you want to handle that situation in terms of what sort of behavior, um, in terms of, you know, how do you want to be communicating with your opponent in that moment, right? Do you, for, for each player, it might be a little bit different, but, um, you know, some players will ask, are you sure? Or, you know, you might, you know, say, saying something like that once or maybe having a plan to talk to the, the um, tournament official, um, or the, the tournament director, right? But, but thinking through, okay, if this happens once, how am I going to respond? Um, both in terms of my behavior towards the opponent or towards, you know, whatever I have to do to actually handle that situation, but also emotionally, what is my response going to be? What is that going to look like? Um, I, Brian, I really like that, that, that you're talking about really scripting out that self-talk, right? What is it, what is your self-talk going to look like to yourself in that moment? Um, again, trying not to leave things up to chance. Um, what is your self-talk going to look like? Can you spend a little bit more time on your routine in between those points going into that next point, knowing that you might be a little bit frazzled. You might be frustrated. You might feel like something has been taken from you. Um, so, you know, really thinking, okay, how can I go into this next point to give myself that best possible chance and not let whatever just happened get in my way. But I, I think ha really having a plan for, um, what you would say to your opponent and then what sort of action you would take um, if that, you know, if it's at that point where you can talk to a tournament director or, you know, a, a roaming official or something like that. Because line calls, they have the potential to be a distraction from you playing your best tennis, yep. right? And you hit on that, like with the emotional piece, I think, you know, it, we, we can lose our focus because of that. And um, 
that's really, I think, the goal of the plan here is to understand that having a reaction like that is normal and natural. Like, yeah, you might feel like something's been taken from you. Um, and you are more or less powerless to, to, to correct that. So, but that's in some ways, once it's happened, it's no longer important. You know, what's important is how we go on from there. Do we let that one incident change how we focus, change how we play? And, and like you said, let's maybe script the self-talk out there so that we, you know, we're ready for it. We know what to do. Um, and maybe if we go back to the challenge mindset, maybe we turn it into a challenge, Josh. Like, okay, I'm going to use this as a motivator to right. get me going rather than let me, you know, being so upset about something I have no power at all to change, which I think is our typical reaction. Like, and, and this is why we're bringing up the idea of reality and obstacles because when I see some players react to line call issues, their it's their behavior is is as if I can't believe this has happened. Right? Would you agree that that sometimes yeah. is the reaction? Yeah, yeah. and. Um, yet it happens often enough that we need to be prepared. Not that we want people to be cynical and um, adversarial every time there's a call that they they question, but um, we have to be prepared that this could happen and we don't want to act in such a way that distracts ourselves from doing our job. We still want to win the match, but uh, very often players... Uh, will be so distracted by this that they their focus may go away for a few points or for a few games or maybe even for the rest of the match. It may just become their built-in excuse for why they lost. Like, oh, you know, so-and-so made a bad call at 3-3 in the first set. <laughs> All right. It's 3-3. <laughs> um, There's a lot of, lot, of, lot of things to do. But, it, it, you know, if people can use that as excuses and then, then that becomes how they discuss the match. So we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that um, we overcome and we embrace that challenge of, of dealing with a bad line call because let's say you end up winning the match and you dealt with it great. Hey, you have something to be proud of. Now you've also got some great experience for how to handle this better in the future. And once again, like we were just saying with nerves, when you come up with your plan for how to deal with this after the match, you assess how you did with your plan with that. Again, it's completely controllable with the controllable items, you know, do you feel like you got an eight out of ten on 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 your response? If you didn't, what needs to be better? Um, if you did, great. You know, was the quality of our our plan good enough? Do we need to adjust that type of thing? And I think the more that we start to have players develop these plans and almost have it in their portfolio of how to play, now we're really starting to talk about putting a formula or recipe together for winning matches um, and really understanding the dynamics of a tennis match. Um, and this is why I think match play and tournament play are so critical to uh, a player's training because they have to learn to win the game um, and, and go through all those reality things. You know, Anders Ericsson, who, uh, you know, recently passed away, he's, written a lot about um, elite performance on different, you know, not just sport, but also music performance and chess and so forth. And in some of the research on, you know, the chess grandmasters and like what differentiates them 
from others is the amount of games they've played. Played more games than other people. Um, and and that's why, you know, for us it's, as tennis players, it's the same thing. We've got to play more games. We've got to understand how to get from, you know, zero to four points for the opponent. How to get from zero to six games before the opponent and, and, and how to do all that. Because there's so many permutations that a match could, could go through, right? Um, and I think that's why we're trying to work on these things, you know, as part of this podcast, give people tools to really put together their recipe for, for you know, playing, winning, winning tennis. Um, so I think that's a really good plan, uh, you know, between what we've both said there in terms of helping with, with line calls. And like you said, we've had a, an episode on that. So definitely point people there. Um, I know one thing that bothers me sometimes, Josh, and it's a specific weather condition is, um, heat and humidity. Um, cause I've had some hydrate or dehydration issues or, or, you know, issues, uh, with cramping, et cetera, in those. And I know that that tends to freak me out. Um, other players may have different weather conditions, um, so that, that could be something we want to have a plan for. What are some other, I mean, maybe things we haven't talked about, uh, or if you want to comment on weather conditions, other maybe potential obstacles? Yeah, I actually wanted to go back to something that you were saying before about, about match play. Um, and I think tying it into this topic, um, when, when, when you play more and more match play, um, and, and this could be either in you know structured match play, right, in a tournament, um, in a you know in a, in a team match but it could also just be playing with friends the more match play you play in the more of these scenarios ultimately play themselves out so um not only is it important to have a plan for these scenarios but having been through them before and maybe you handled it well maybe you didn't handle it so well you know hopefully you've learned from that from that situation but through playing in more and more match play you the, you've you've been in these situations more than you would have been, you know, had you just played maybe, you know, the the big tournaments or only certain tournaments. So I, I think that's another benefit that um, it gives you more learning opportunities from being in these situations, um, times where you didn't do it well, and okay, let's learn from that, or times where you did handle it well, and okay, let's learn from that as well in terms of how can we replicate that. So just wanted to add that in as well. Um, but as it relates to, to weather conditions, um, yeah, heat and humidity is a big one. Um, wind and cold are d- definitely a big one as well. Um, sometimes players will tell me they, they really prefer playing indoors, right? They consider themselves more of a indoor player. And I say, okay, that's great. You know, some of your matches will be indoors. Um, but indoor tennis is also easier in a lot of ways, right? You're not dealing with any of these conditions. The temperature is generally a, at a pretty good point. You're not dealing with the wind. You're not dealing with the sun. There's often less distractions going on around the court too, right? Um, so, you know, thinking about, okay, let's say, let's say the wind, right? Having a, having a plan for, if I'm playing with the wind, how do I want to, what adjustments do I want to make if I'm playing against the wind? Um, if it's a really sunny day, right? And it's a certain hour of the day where the sun's in my eyes, or I'm playing in a court that's faced in the direction where the sun is going to be in my eyes more hours of the day. Um, you know, what, what is my plan there? Do I, do I have a hat in my bag with me at all times or sunglasses, right? We, we've, I know we've referenced winning ugly more than a a few times, um, 
on this uh, on this podcast. But in Winning Ugly, there's an entire chapter just for how you pack your bag. And you know, we've talked a lot about preparation, but um, not only do you want to have a mental plan for these different scenarios, but sometimes that includes what can you actually bring, right? So you, you, Brian, you talked about the um, humidity and heat, right? And I know we've, we've had conversations about this, but you know, maybe there's certain, if other players who are listening are in that same scenario, maybe there's certain things that based on this, based on planning ahead or based on the situation happening to you before, maybe there's certain things that you bring to the court um, in, in terms of, you know, getting, getting the nutrients that you need in, in that moment. So, um, you know, thinking also about how you prepare, um, in terms of packing your bag and, and also, you know, planning through these different scenarios, I think is, is definitely critical for, for tennis players. For sure. Yeah. Let's talk about doubles a little bit. Um, because I've had some conversations recently with, with doubles players, um, and one of the things that comes up is the dynamic between the two partners and that, you know, let's say, you know, let's say you and I are playing together, Josh, and obviously we'd be a great team, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we more or less get it, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, there are some players who I think they bring a singles mentality to the doubles court. Um. You know, I think we talked a lot about some of these things in our episode on doubles communication. Um, but what happens in that dynamic? Let's say, you know, one player uh, it perhaps is, is critical of the opponent um, or, you know, or they don't communicate much or they don't want to communicate. They don't want to have a plan. Um, you know, there could be a lot of different things that are not would, what we would consider necessarily good teamwork out there. And I know a lot of the leagues, you know, here in the in the Boston area, there are a lot of, uh, you know, in the indoor season, there are a lot of doubles leagues. And oftentimes, people are placed with new partners all the time, right? So there's not a lot of chemistry and cohesion there. There's not a lot of time for them to develop um, as a cohesive unit to understand what each other's um, preferred communication patterns are etc and what ends up happening and what i've noticed with some of the players that i work with is that their partner becomes a distraction for them and the quality of their play is sometimes determined by the interaction that they're having with their partner um and, you know, this is important for us to have a plan for because it's a variable. Like if you're playing doubles and you know you're playing with new people all the time, you need to have a plan. Because I would say that ultimately, it's not a great excuse for a poor performance. You know this is a new partner. You know that these things could happen. Um, so we need to have a, have a plan for that. So I'd like to get your thoughts, Josh, on the whole partner dynamic piece. Yeah, this is definitely something I've seen in, in high school and college tennis quite a bit. Um, because, you know, sometimes coaches will mix around partners over the course of a season. Sometimes one player is injured, right? That, that somebody typically plays doubles with, so somebody else has to fill in. And thinking about all those different dynamics with doubles, the communication piece, 
the playing style piece, right? Maybe one player is is comfortable going for a lot more risk than the other player. Um, but thinking about, you know, how can we plan that out ahead of time? How can we control the controllables in this situation too, right? Um, thinking, okay, do we have a plan for how we're going to communicate in between points? Do we have a plan for how we're going to talk to each other before the before the match, right? Maybe there's certain things that we want to make sure we go over, right? Whether it's who's going to play on each side, who's going to serve first, what's our general playing style going to be, have we played either of these opponents before or, or the, this team before? Um, but the you know, also understanding that when playing with the new partner, there is going to be there are going to be some challenges, right? You're not going to communicate as well as somebody that you've played with for many years, right? It's not going to necessarily be a, a Brian Brothers level uh, communication. Um, so, so, so you knowing that ahead of time, knowing that your partner might go for some shots you're not comfortable with might make certain mistakes. And, and even if you're playing, even if it's your typical partner or somebody that you've played with for a long time, being comfortable with them missing shots, making mistakes, um, and still making sure that you're communicating in between points, still being supportive, um, still talking to each other in a way that's ultimately, um, you know, going to, going to be effective and support, you know, supporting each other every step of the way. Um, and, you know, talk, the, the more that, as I think we've talked about in that, that episode that you referred to, Brian, um, the more that that is all talked about ahead of time, right? Hopefully it's not in the five minutes leading up to, you know, to entering the core. Hopefully you have a little bit more time than that, maybe the night before, the morning of, whatever it is. Um, then then you can have, really have a plan when you're out there in terms of your playing style, in terms of your communication, in terms of, you know, maybe adjustments that you want to make. Um, also in terms of communicating about strengths and weaknesses, um, um, so I, I think that's all very important. And I think that's something unique to doubles that, you know, there's, it's not just you, right? The, your, your whole side of the court is not within your control. So the better that, you know, these, these things can be discussed ahead of time, the better, you know, the, the, the less, the, the less of these communication, um, the, the less com- communication roadblocks are going to be along the way, right? The, sometimes, you know, with two players haven't played together before, it, it looks like two different people playing singles, um, yeah. you know, just on, on half a court. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that, that, that's pretty much it. What, what do you think, Brian? What are some other, some other challenges when it comes to doubles? Yeah, two that I've heard of recently that I want to go through and, and also get your thoughts on. You know, number one is... Um, being prepared for your partner not to be playing well at some point, right? So what's our plan when that happens? So I was talking to somebody yesterday, and what she did was she started overcompensating for her partner's shortcomings, started poaching more, taking more risks. And, and by doing that, you know, she started losing points, started making errors because she was trying to do too much, in a way, right? And that's a nat- natural reaction, but it's probably not the right thing to do, right? So what's the what's the plan when our partner isn't playing well? I think it's number one is we have to continue to focus on doing what our job is. So we've got to stay focused on what our responsibilities are on the court and then doing something like supporting our partner as much as we can, uh, you know, expressing confidence 
you know, more emotional support. Uh, encourage your partner to continue to, to swing out and go for her shots, to trust herself, um, perhaps giving her little things to do so that she can build some confidence by, you know, even if it's just like, all right, just get this ball across court. You know, I'm going to cross on the first ball, something like that, right? Call a specific play where your partner can do that, do maybe something very simple and start to build confidence as opposed to, um, maybe not communicating as much and trying to do too much because you think your partner isn't playing great because your partner is going to be able to sense that, that like, oh, she's trying to cut everything off or, or something like that. So I think that's one obstacle. A second obstacle is, and I think you see this more with adult league tennis, I'm playing with somebody I know I don't do well with as a partner. Um, we definitely need a plan for that. That's the one where I think it's it's not acceptable to come out of that match saying, well, I was playing with so-and-so and, you know, I just don't like him or her and, you know, we just don't communicate well and uh, it's not a good reason to have a poor performance. That's not a good distraction. So we have to have a plan for that um, because you know ahead of time you're going to play with that, that person and, um, you know, maybe there's an opportunity, like you said, Josh, to work before you get on the court on some of these things to, to at least improve that, take, take some control of that. But again, it's got to be down to you doing your job and you doing everything you can to make it work instead of sometimes what I hear is almost a, a bit of a resignation. It's like, ah, oh, well, that's what it was. It was what it was. I didn't play well because of this and that. Um, we have to have a more solid plan. And, and like we've been saying throughout this, part of your plan needs to be some scripted self-talk about what you're going to do. Um, and to use those thoughts, use that self-talk to block out the more unhelpful thoughts. So curious to get your, your thoughts on those two scenarios. The, you know, the first one being, uh, what to do when my partner's not playing well. And the second, I, I know I'm playing with somebody that I don't have good history with. Yeah, I, I think I think you brought up a good point that if if one player is, is overcompensating for their partner not playing well, that could actually lead to um, more of a drop in confidence, right? Because, um, you know, some if, if that player is already not playing well, then their opponent starts trying to poach on every ball then that that sends a message to their partner that hey you you don't have it right now or yeah, you're not you know, I don't good trust enough. you I don't trust you exactly um, but I, I would say within some some you know t- to some extent maybe going for you know an extra uh, you know crossing a little bit more through the middle or being a little bit more aggressive in that situation could be reasonable. Mm. Um, but it, I think when, when it's taken to an extreme, then number one, that, that player is probably, the player who's trying to do too much is probably going to start making more mistakes and it's going to send that message to their partner. So that, that could um, definitely backfire. Um, so, so yeah, that, that, what was the second? Remind me the second Second scenario. one is you know you're playing with somebody, right, who you don't have good history with maybe as a team. Right, right. I, I would think, you know, what really try to figure out what went wrong last time? Was it an issue of communication? Was it an issue of movement and we weren't 
on the same page, moving together as a team. Um, was our game plan just off for the team we were playing? Try to figure that out, and then maybe there's an adjustment that can be made. Um, but also, you know, not letting that be an excuse, right? We, we talked about line calls being a common excuse, but not going out there saying, oh, here we go again. Um, but, but thinking, okay, trying to view it as a challenge as much as possible. Yeah. Thinking, you know, how can, how can we, you know, I, I haven't played well with this person in the past. Um, this would be something really impressive to overcome if we could beat this team across the net from us. What, what would it take to do that? So almost thinking, you know, starting with the end in mind in terms of that and viewing it as a challenge or an opportunity to overcome, um, you know, th- th- this challenge of, of winning with a partner that maybe historically you haven't played well with. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you, you talked about the challenge of that, it, it made me think about extreme ownership because when I hear this discussion, it's almost like the player is blaming the other one. And are you looking in the mirror enough to say, okay, maybe it's me. Maybe I could be better in this situation. Um, yep. I think very often the energy that we bring to the court, more often than not, that's what we get back. So if we're coming out onto the court with an attitude of like, oh, this isn't going to work, uh, we don't get along, I think that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if we walk out onto the court with uh, you know, an attitude of we're going to make this work, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be the, you know, the ultimate teammate. It may not completely work, but we have a better chance of making it work, right? So it's not always about the other player. Very often, we've got to work on ourselves the most before we can really help anybody else out. And I think that's even true for like people like you and me in our positions. Um, we've probably both had to do a lot of work on ourselves as players, as professionals, as human beings in order to have you know, any ability to, to help others on their journey, right? Um, you know, I think both for both of us, you know, we've more or less been our own first clients. But bringing it back to this conversation, I think it's really important that everybody who's a doubles partner who has maybe struggled with this stuff in the past, can you look at yourself and first of all, work on your own um, performance as a teammate and see, you know, how are my communication patterns? How do I react when things are not going well or when my opponent or, sorry, my partner makes a mistake? Am I being the best possible teammate that I could be? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great point. Trying to, you know, take the, take the emphasis or the blame off of your partner, right? And thinking about what can you control? How can you be the best possible partner in that situation? And not, you know, also if you lose, not being too quick to point the finger. Brian, I remember you, you, had a, a story from a, a previous episode where somebody came off the court and they said, well, my partner... <laughs> partner um, just didn't have it today. Partner just didn't have it today, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, there will be days like that, right? Where a partner's not playing well, where maybe both people aren't playing well, where somebody misses a, a big shot in an important moment, but that's part of it. That's part of the game. That's, that's the reality. And having a plan so that that situation doesn't totally disrupt everything disrupt um your your whole chances on that day um gives you um a better shot of winning i mean we've we talked so much on this podcast that 
there are no guarantees, right? There are absolutely no guarantees. Um, but by doing these things, by controlling the controllables, by trying to focus on these things that you are actually within your control and that you can impact, you can have a better chance. Um, and I think one one last point, and I know this is something we want to discuss, is um, in terms of you know, not only just thinking through these plans um, and having a plan for these different situations, but starting to take it to that next level and visualizing these scenarios taking place, right? So sometimes there's talk, you know, that you don't want to visualize something negative taking place, but if you're thinking of a situation that is likely to occur and how you intend to respond to it, that, that can be very productive, right? So thinking, okay, I made a mistake here, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking that extended time in between points here to really um, do everything within my power to give myself the best possible chance to to shake it off, to come into that next point um, focused and you know having put it behind me. So um, you know, really, I mean, with with each of these scenarios, even something like weather conditions, right? Um, trying to, I think that's a situation where you can visualize it and really try to incorporate as many of the senses as possible think about um you know e- each of them what what that would feel like um is there a certain smell is there a taste right trying to incorporate each of the different senses within that imagery um or visualization um to to make it more realistic to make it feel as if you've already actually been in that situation what are what are some of your thoughts on that brian well i think when we think about or you know, when we hear Novak Djokovic talk about his use of visualization, it's really on this mental contrasting piece. He thinks of himself in various situations that could occur in a match, and he sees and feels himself being successful, embracing that challenge and, and getting through it. And the benefit of that for him is that when those situations inevitably occur, he feels prepared. He knows what to do. He has a plan. And it's not as if he asks himself the question, oh, what should I do now? That question has been pre-asked and answered. And then he has visualized and experienced that. We talk a lot about imagery and visualization on, on this podcast because the brain has a difficult time differentiating between what we imagine and what we experience in real life. And so we're encouraging everybody to engage in this process in a multi-sensory way so that you feel like you've practiced these things before they actually occur. And, um, you know, you can look up articles about Novak Djokovic and his use of visualization and mental preparation, and you'll be able to read a little bit more about that. Um, but that's how he uses it, you know, and that's why, you know, we thought today the topic of mental contrasting would be very uh, beneficial because um, it's helpful to understand the things that could go wrong. It's helpful to be realistic about how the game of tennis works and be prepared. You know, I think the last thing we'll add, I'll add into this, Josh, is um, once these things, you know, a match is over and we maybe went through our plans for these things, to reflect back. We've talked about you know where real deep learning occurs. The piece that most uh, players or, or individuals leave out of that deep learning process is the reflection piece. So reflect on 
the plan and how it went, assess, you know, did I did I control it or did I, you know, those controllable plans that I get do I give myself an eight out of ten out of that? Um and then what did I learn from going through this? How do I now improve my planning going forward? Because it's this is about again a journey, not any one match. We're obviously continuing to to get better and better. But that's why I think mental contrasting is such a an important part of learning to to play great and winning tennis. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a good place to to end off because by you know through your experiences of playing matches, you come up with a plan. You think about certain situations, certain situations or scenarios that could take place, and then at the end you review it. And maybe certain situations did take place. Maybe there are others that that you weren't expecting, right? And were you happy with how you responded? Or was there something that you wish you could have done differently? So going through that process of thinking, okay, what did I do well? What did I not do so well? What did I learn from the situation? And then maybe next time around, maybe there are other things that you add, other scenarios based on these match play um, situations that that you encounter. Um, So I, I, I think that that, you know, that that match play piece is, is really critical, but also going through that reflection process so that you can learn from it, right? If you're not, if you play a match that you lose and you're not happy with it and you're not able to talk about it or not able to really reflect on it and examine it and learn from it, then you're more likely for the same things, same mistakes to keep happening over and over again. So the more that you can, you know, view it objectively, maybe take a step back and learn from the situation and adjust as needed, the better. Great conversation, Josh. Thank you. Um, that's our show for today. I want to thank you for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of, of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check out our Instagram page. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.